Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Hi, everyone. It's Dr. Paula McDonald, and we are in Exhale Bible Discovery. On today's podcast, we are in John chapter 14. Well, I hope that you have enjoyed this amazing book of John. And if you need to go back and start over and listen to some other podcasts, they are there and you can listen to them at any time. But we're going to continue to study the beautiful words of Jesus as he shares his wisdom and his love to his disciples before his impending death on the cross. There are two main themes for this chapter. One, that Jesus shares about what heaven is like, and then two, what Jesus shares about the Holy Spirit. And both of these are major theological topics. So this first division, Jesus shares about heaven, takes us from verses 1 through 14. And as this chapter opens, Jesus immediately begins to comfort his beloved disciples. These were Jesus' most trusted companions and friends. And they had traveled together, they'd eaten meals together, watched him perform miracles, put their faith and trust in him. And as this time is nearing for Jesus to experience the cross, he desires to offer them some encouragement. And he begins by saying, Their hearts should not be troubled, and to trust in God and in Him. They had just come from the emotional evening the night before as Judas was leaving to betray Christ, and Peter is told that he would deny Him three times. And no doubt, Jesus could sense the stress and the emotions that the disciples were experiencing. And trust means firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, and or strength of someone or something. So when our children are scared, we tell them to trust that we will protect them. We assure them that we are there for them. And in the same beautiful way, Jesus is telling the disciples and us today that he will be there for us. Next, Jesus begins telling them, that in his father's house there are many rooms, and he tells them and us he is going to prepare a place for them. And we know Jesus is talking about heaven. He's giving us a slight glimpse into what heaven will be like in terms that we can understand. And as believers, we understand that we will spend eternity in heaven. You guys, that's a long time. So therefore, doesn't it make sense to spend a little time studying the scriptures regarding this place where we're going to go forever. Randy Alcorn, in his book, Heaven, says, Most people live unprepared for death. We who are wise will go to the reliable source to investigate what's on the other side. Heaven is often thought of as white clouds, angels, pearly gates, harps, trumpets, and a huge golden throne where God and Jesus sit together and rule. 
Heaven is one of those topics where there are many opinions and thoughts. One of the books I can recommend is that one I just mentioned, Heaven by Randy Alcorn, and it's divided into three parts. He goes into a theology of heaven, which is a great detail of heaven derived directly from scriptures. And this is a good time to discuss the internet. And you guys, while the internet is a great place to find information, you've got to use discernment and caution when you are researching topics for the Bible. The Bible is the best resource, and it's important to go to the Holy Spirit to help you understand what you are reading and to discern. Pray and meditate for His revealing to you of what He wants you to know. And once you have done this, use His guidance to direct you to any further studies. But make sure the sites that you are using are by reputable pastors or theologians. And understanding what God's Word has to say about heaven, it's important. Don't you know that the enemy loves it when we as Christians take heaven lightheartedly? When we don't recognize the immense importance of heaven? We leave the door open to his atta- Satan's attacks, whispering lies about this wonderful place. And there's no way for any of us to truly understand what heaven will be like. Imagine the very best day you've ever had thus far in your life, and now magnify that by a million. And this still won't give you a true image of heaven. And then imagine the most beautiful scenery you've ever seen. Perhaps a mountaintop that you've been on, or walking along a pristine beach, or in a gorgeous garden, or gazing into a newborn baby's eyes. None of these can hold a candle to what heaven will be like for us. And I like to use the analogy of high-definition television and photography. This technology illuminates and defines pictures for us in a crystal clear manner. And I believe heaven will be high definition on steroids. Colors we don't even recognize. A sharpness that will take our breath away. Fragrances that will flood our senses. We simply won't have the words to describe what we are experiencing. And also, I don't believe heaven will be a place where we're just going to float on clouds all day long. I believe we're going to continue to learn, explore, have purpose, and jobs. Imagine being so fulfilled by learning that we will continue to open our minds and to meet the saints and Billy Graham and others who have gone before us. And I can't wait to ask the hard questions and dig into topics I struggle right here on earth with. Imagine a perfect body, no aches or pains, diseases or maladies of any sort, and no sin. No jealousy, frustration, hate, judgment, or betrayal. All of us working together in harmony and in love. And now flip that around and imagine eternity in the absence of God. Nothing good, no love, hate, envy, torture, pain, decay, and filth. And to top off that, never seeing an end to that existence. And I believe those who are in hell are shown the many times they had the chance to reconcile with God, but they rejected him. They must now live in eternity knowing they got it wrong 
and there is nothing they can do to correct the situation they are now in. How sad is that? The next part in Randy Alcorn's book are the questions and answers about heaven. It has the whole second section to cover many deep questions regarding this beautiful place, heaven. And this book really is one of the best thought out books on this topic and a great book to have as a reference. And then his third division is Living in the Light of Heaven. The final chapters of his book give you pause for thought as you live life here on this earth. Knowing what you learn about heaven really does and should change the way you live each and every day. Who do you need to tell about heaven, God, and Jesus? Who will be left behind if you don't tell them? God may have chosen you to be that one person to bring them along. And what a huge responsibility this is for all of us as believers. So Jesus tells the disciples that he will come back and take them where he is going. And he tells them they will know the way. Jesus wants to cement in their hearts that he is not getting ready to abandon them. He has been telling the disciples over and over, he will not forsake them, just as God also told his people in the Old Testament. Thomas speaks up and says he doesn't know the where he is going, and therefore how would they know the way? And it's an honest statement. And as we've spoken about in previous lessons, just as many doctrines are difficult for us to grasp, much of what Jesus was telling the disciples was a little confusing. But later on, they would be reminded of Jesus's teaching and they would have the help of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus says this beautiful verse, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And this, sadly, is one of the most controversial verses in all of Scripture. Jesus clearly tells us that he is the way to God, and he does not allude to any other method or way to be able to get to God. And this is what we call a stumbling block for many. And many don't want to accept this doctrinal truth and are led astray down pathways that are dangerous and eternity compromised. I don't know about you, but I simply don't want to risk anything that would keep me from heaven. And this is why we are required to stay prayed up and read up, booted and suited, you guys. In order to refute false teachings, we must know God's word. It is our duty and our responsibility, and we cannot be sideline Christians awaiting someone else to tell us or to preach to us. We have to do our part and dig into the study. Verse 6 also points to, to the Trinity. The way represents Jesus, the truth, the Holy Spirit, and the life, God, the creator of all life. Jesus is teaching us his heavenly team, the Trinity. And this team will protect, sustain, and teach us whatever we need to know. And next, Philip speaks up and asks Jesus to show them the Father, and that would be enough for them. And Philip is asking for a physical face-to-face -face with the Almighty. What he isn't recognizing is that he is already face-to-face -face with Jesus right then. And Jesus responds to Philip by telling him, that even after spending all this time with him, 
They have also been with the Father. That's what Philip's saying, is you're seeing him in me. I am he. And Jesus emphasizes that he and the Father are one in the same, just as he had been saying all along. And this is not new information to them. And he tells them he is going to the Father, and because of this, the Father will do even greater things. And he's telling them that in order for the true reason for his being on this earth was to redeem sinners and offer us eternal life, that he has to go back to the Father first. And the cross would be the bridge that would do this. Next, Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Those who haven't studied the scriptures jump on these statements to boldly proclaim that Jesus will not just do whatever we ask for, but what they are missing is what these verses really mean. Belief in Jesus, as we have spoken of before, requires us to actively participate. We must believe in Christ and we must seek him out daily. We got to know his word. And again, sideline Christianity is never mentioned in the Bible. And therefore, when we know his word, we will understand the meaning of what he is saying here. And there is a requirement on the part of believers. Jesus would soon be sharing about the gift of the Holy Spirit. And once we recognize this gift, the power he imparts in our lives, and how we can tap into this power, we understand what our part is to receive this gift. And so this next section of these notes will focus on the amazing power of the Holy Spirit. So part two is Jesus shares about the Holy Spirit, and this is verses 15 through 31. And it's extremely important as Jesus begins to share to his disciples about the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And Jesus plainly tells them that along with love comes obedience. We cannot just claim to love Jesus and then go about our merry way, living as we did before we invited him into our lives. We have to have skin in the game. Have you ever been involved in a one-sided love relationship? Well, it's unbalanced, it's unfulfilling, and it will eventually fade. And then he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The and points to the fact that with obedience comes the prize, the Holy Spirit, that Jesus calls the counselor and the Spirit of Truth. And earlier, back in John four twenty three through 24, Jesus said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If a man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. And we find that in John 7, 37-39. And Jesus had already spoken of the Holy Spirit, and now in chapter 16, he is letting us know what is required in order to receive the spirit of this truth. 
and Jesus understood that without him physically, we would need a helper, the Holy Spirit. And these verses also again point to the Trinity, and we see Jesus referring to another person, not an it or a thing, but a person. The word counselor clearly means a person to assist us. And the word Trinity is not found in the Bible, but we do find numerous references to the three distinct persons of the Godhead throughout Scripture, each person with specific roles while all three being intertwined with one another. And there are references to the Holy Spirit from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And I would encourage you to go through the Bible and journal every reference to the Holy Spirit and the Trinity. It could be an excellent extracurricular study that you can do. And another great book that I would recommend is What the Bible Says About the Holy Spirit by Stanley M. Horton. In verse 17, Jesus continues by saying the world cannot accept him, the Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. Those who reject Christ reject the Holy Spirit, just as they reject God. One cannot even know about this amazing gift and power without first knowing Christ. And again, there is no other way than through Christ. And that is why those who are without Christ find the things of Christianity silly and they scoff at its teachings. They have no stirring in their soul because their soul is empty of the Spirit. And Jesus goes deeper by saying, You will know Him, for He lives in you and will be in you. And this is a powerful statement. As believers, the Holy Spirit lives in each of us. That is where we get the stirring within our soul, where discernment is heard, and who speaks truth and reveals truth to us. So now in verse 18, Jesus says, He will not leave us as orphans, and that He will come to us. What a beautiful and loving promise. We see Jesus referring to His disciples and to us as a father-to-child relationship, and He desires for His believers to understand this very special relationship. Next, Jesus tells us that it wouldn't be too long before the world would no longer see Jesus in the flesh. And however, his followers would see him. He tells us that because he lives, we will also live. This is a promise to our eternal lives with him. And in verse 20, he explains the intimate intertwining between Jesus, his believers, and the Father. We are all in a matrix together supernaturally. And again in verse 21, Jesus mentions obedience to him. When Jesus mentions something numerous times, he is making sure his believers understand the importance of his teachings. Obedience to Christ means spending time with him, his word, and doing work for the kingdom. And another Judas, not the betrayer, then asked Jesus, why would he not show himself to the world? This made no sense to him, as he would expect that Jesus would want everyone to know him. And of course he does. But God allows man to choose to know or not know him. He does not force himself on anyone, as that would not be true love. And for a third time, Jesus speaks about obedience this time to obey his teachings. He says that if we don't obey his teachings, that we don't love him. Y'all, that's a strong statement. When we obey what Christ teaches us, we are showing the ultimate love and respect. 
And now in verse 25, Jesus speaks about the counselor who says he is the Holy Spirit from whom the Father will send in his name. Now there is no doubt whom Jesus is referring to. The Holy Spirit is a person that comes to live in each one of us as believers. And he goes on to say that the Holy Spirit will teach them all things and remind them of everything because he said to them, this verse helps us to understand how the Gospels were written by the disciples. Because the disciples received the gift of the Holy Spirit, their minds were illuminated by the truth teachings they heard while Christ was with them. And then in verse 27, Jesus begins his farewell speech. He moves from a teaching mode into his special goodbye to his beloved disciples. The word peace that Jesus use is, uses is shalom, which means a special blessing and comfort. And he lovingly tells them that they are not to be troubled or to be afraid. And Jesus knows better than anyone else the hardships that would come into each of their lives because of him. And he wants them to know that more than anything else, he is with them as the Holy Spirit is with them and that they would never endure anything alone. In his final words in this chapter, Jesus is reminding them and us that he is going away, but he would return. And he tells them that what is about to happen must happen. In verse 30, Jesus mentions the prince of this world is coming, and he's referring to Satan. Satan sadly believes that with Jesus' death on the cross, he's the winner. And we know that because of the cross, Satan does not win. We do know, however, that Satan is alive and creating havoc on this earth. He wants desperately to keep people from knowing Christ, and anything he can do to trip us up, lie, deceive, and lead us astray, that's his goal. And the good news for believers is Satan has zero hold on those who believe and follow Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit provides us with the armor of God, the fruit of the Spirit, the spirit of truth, a counselor, and a protector. Satan can never, ever remove the Holy Spirit from a believer, and you need to hold that deep within your heart. The Spirit within us must be recognized and utilized. If we don't take the time to learn all we can about the Holy Spirit, then we can never fully experience that power that we possess from Him. And sadly, most churches are not teaching about the Holy Spirit. And I've said this before, and I stand on this truth. If believers had the tiniest of inkling of the power that we have within ourselves because of the Holy Spirit, we would be blown away. Friends, this power is within you and within me, and we must take time to understand this amazing gift that has been given to us. If you don't, you are missing out on God's special gift for each of us. And we need to nurture the spirit within us by spending time in prayer, not only to Jesus and to God, but also in recognizing the spirit. Those who are spirit-led and spirit-filled carry a special weapon and are easily seen by other believers. Have you ever been in the presence of a holy inspired believer? You guys, you can see their radiance, and it's your turn to radiate the Spirit within you. 
it makes me think, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Well, I hope these words bless your life. And I would like to leave you with six journaling questions. One, what have been your thoughts in the past regarding heaven? And two, because Jesus is the only way to God, how does this affect your relationship with him? Three, obedience to Christ is critical as a believer. How are you being obedient? Four, prior to this study, what have your thoughts been regarding the Holy Spirit? And how have they now changed? And five, take a moment to write a prayer specifically to the person of the Holy Spirit. And then six, go and study the armor of God in Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 and write down your thoughts. So maybe you be blessed with chapter 14 and the rest of John. And I look forward to seeing you again next time in John chapter 15. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 